Good morning. My name is John Arelli. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to be with you this morning. As I look around the room, uh, you all are awesome, and it's, it's awesome to be with you. We're starting a new series this morning called Following Jesus, and I get to be with you to preach this first sermon, and I'm so sad I won't be with you next week for who's preaching next week. Noemi, Vega, Noemi, would you raise your hand? Oh my goodness, y'all, you want to be here next week. Today you're here, I mean, if you only come to church once a month or something, you pick the wrong Sunday. Next week is the Sunday to come. Uh, I'm so, so excited. Noemi, thank you so much for being willing to preach next week. But following Jesus is a series that we wanted to introduce because that's what life is all about. I remember when uh, you, you heard about baptisms already, we're having baptisms coming up. Well, we were giving the baptism class to our daughter when she got baptized, and she was young. And at, through the material, there was a word there that she had never heard before, or if she did, she never associated with herself. And the word was Christian. I'm a pastor with children. <laughs> and my daughter, before her baptism class, had never heard the word Christian before. Just because I, we didn't realize it. We don't use the term in our house. Now, now, how do you get away with that if you're a pastor? Well, we use this term more than any other. We say we're followers of Jesus. And so she's like, yeah, we're followers of Jesus, but we're not Christians, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, that too. We have called this series Following Jesus because our, the deepest heart that we have for one another is that we become authentic followers of Jesus. Real people following real Jesus right now today. So the, the best thing we thought we could do is actually show you different contexts in which people have followed Jesus and where Jesus has gone so we know how to follow Jesus Jesus is awesome. He's amazing. Now, you may have heard that uh, Christians sometimes get a bad reputation, but Jesus never gets a bad reputation. Have you ever noticed that? If you ask people about Jesus, he loves kids. He's angry at religious people. He uh, goes out to the needy. He says good news to the poor. He defends prostitutes. He is awesome, right? If you ask out in society, what do you think of Jesus? There's probably a good feeling about him. But if you ask people about Christians, who knows? You might, you might hear what you actually describe yourself as. Many of you would say, oh, I'm a hypocrite, or um, actually I'm a sinner, or I'm, I'm the worst of things. And society says the same things about us, about Christians anyway. Well, my life is not centered upon Christianity. My life is centered upon Jesus. And I would love for your lives to be centered around Jesus too. Because if your life is centered around Jesus, then we don't have anything to defend. We don't have to defend Christianity. We don't have to defend our politics. We just get to be followers of Jesus. And our lives become more like Jesus, right? Whose life? Anybody want your life to look more like Jesus? I do. I'm not done yet. So those of you who didn't raise your hands this morning... I don't know what to say about you. You're in trouble, I guess. I'm just kidding. If you remember anything from today, I want you to remember this. God promises, God promises to meet us where we are and show us 
who we are. God promises to meet us where we are and show us who we are. Now, if you're following Jesus, there's a good chance that the way that God does that is by bringing you into the wilderness. You might think that going into the wilderness is not for Christians or followers of Jesus. If you become a follower of Jesus, you should win all the time. Winning and, and doing this with money and doing this with your shoulders. Winning, winning, winning. All I do is win, win, win is what, is what it says in the Bible when you become a follower of Jesus. No, that's a big lie. The truth is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you actually do the things that Jesus did. You go where Jesus went. You get to test out what Jesus tested out. And the first thing that happened after Jesus was baptized, now Jesus was baptized, is that he was led by the Holy Spirit. So this was a holy thing. If you're in the wilderness this morning, I want you to just for a moment think this could be a very holy thing that you are feeling like you were in the wilderness. Another word for the wilderness is the desert. Those places are not bad places necessarily. Those are places that Jesus goes and he promises to meet us there and he promises to show us who we are. Now, before he goes into the wilderness, there's this very, very special occasion. Like I said, he got baptized and I want to bring you there first. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. And Jesus, before he gets baptized, has to argue with the guy who's about to baptize him. Because the guy who's about to baptize him says, well, you're Jesus, you should be baptizing me. And instead, Jesus says, no, and look at the scripture. But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Another way to say that verse in different translations in the Greek is we must lean in towards God's righteousness. We must lean in to God's defining of us. When we get baptized, we begin that process of allowing God to define who we are. The moment of baptism is when we descend into the water, immersed by it, and then we come out of it, leaving our old self behind, but being adopted into the resurrection life of Jesus. That's why we get baptized. That's why he gave that to us as a gift. Again, if you've not been baptized like that, I encourage you to sign up to be baptized because this is part of what God requires, as Jesus said. So John, his cousin, John the Baptist, agrees to baptize him. He gets baptized. And after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, watch this, the heavens. Have you ever seen the heavens before? I've never, I don't know if I ever have, but look at this. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. I'll read that again. This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. The heavens opened up for Jesus just to tell everyone how beloved he was. Ain't nobody loved me like that ever. <laughs> Grandma never did that. 
for me. She said, she might have said secretly to me, oh, Johnny, I dearly love you privately. She would have never said, excuse me, y'all. We're stopping the Italian dinner. No more lasagna and meatballs. Wait one second. This is my dearly loved grandson. Not my grandmother. Certainly not my parents, because they're too tired when they're raising kids. You grandparents understand you love your grandkids more than you do your kids. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to lean in. This is, this is, we're we're going to be honest. So, ain't, ain't no point in lying. So, when we hear God's voice say, you are my dearly beloved. This is huge. It's the first time Jesus has heard it. I mean, Mary was a teen mom. She doesn't have the capacity to tell Jesus that stuff. This is the first time maybe anybody's heard it. This is my dearly loved son. Who brings me great joy? I was with neighbors last night. Our leader and I walk every night, and our neighbors interrupted us on our walk because they had a fire pit out, scared around and me because it was dark, and they brought us over to their fire pit, and so we sat around, and for some reason, one thing led to another, and we were talking about how everything changes in life if we hear God's voice. No matter what we're going through, if God speaks and we can hear him, we can walk through anything. So you can imagine what Jesus is seated with at the point of his baptism. He is told... A couple of things. He is dearly beloved, like more than a grandma can love their grandson. And you grandparents know that's big. Dearly beloved, and then he's also son. So there's adoption that's included. All of a sudden, God takes Jesus as his own. He's with me. And then icing on the cake is, and he brings me great joy. Tell me if God ever said that straight in your face with the heavens opened that you couldn't go through anything. Well, that's what happens. Jesus receives his true identity. And then the Holy Spirit of God takes him into the worst place he could ever go into temptation in the wilderness. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Right after his baptism, Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. Don't lose this. Live in that tension for a moment that you might have been led into the wilderness, into the desert, by God's Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And for any of you who are in the desert, I encourage you to follow Jesus in this pattern. If you are in the desert, get fasting. And at the end of it, no kidding, he was famished. And the tempter, 
which is the Greek word for Satan, Ha-Satan, approached him. So in Jesus' most hungry state, after 40 days since receiving the true identity from God in verbal form, Satan comes at him. Now, Satan's modus operandi, his M.O., his normal way of speaking, his normal way of being, Jesus says in the book of John, is lying. He's the father of lies. His name is the accuser, but the way he does that is as the father of lies. And in that same chapter, Jesus also calls him the archon of the world, the ruler of the world. He's like president of the world in the amount of authority that he has. And if that rulership had a language, it would be lying. That's all he does. That's all he is. And so as he approaches Jesus, the thing that he comes at him with is lies. Because that's what he does. And he comes after Jesus' identity. Let me tell you, friends, the three temptations that we face in the desert distract us from our true identity. And our true identity is that we are children of God. The temptations that we face, and I did a Facebook poll this week, so I know that nine out of ten of you say that the kind of temptations that you face are not the temptations to hurt somebody or to break the Ten Commandments. The temptations that you face are the things that just distract you from who God wants you to be. So Satan says to him, if you are really God's son, questioning his identity, tell these stones to become bread. The Bible says, replied Jesus, Jesus comes straight back at him, that people don't only live on bread, we live on on every word that comes from God's mouth. So you see the temptation to be distracted, and Jesus comes back with the truth. So look at the way that uh, Satan tempts, because as an Italian, I love bread. And if Satan's going to say, John, you should make some bread, I'm going to think bread, awesome, wonderful, bread is great, right? Bread is great. Raise your hand if you like bread. Bread is not satanic. That is not what I'm saying today. (laughs) Bread, good. So what's going on here? Satan's not asking Jesus to do a sinful thing. He's asking him to be distracted from his identity. Jesus' identity is as he reads from the scripture, I'm fed by my father and that's what I live on. You're telling me to feed myself. And that goes against the identity of a beloved son who gives him joy. How are you being distracted, I wonder? How are we daily distracted from the identity that God wants us to have? What does it look like in your life? Because they could be very good things. Netflix is wonderful, isn't it? I love every single film there. And could Satan say, nah, go watch Netflix. As part of the way 
Satan lies to us to cause us to flee our true identity. Eh, you don't need to read the scripture to be a Christian. Eh, don't pray for your kids. They can handle themselves. Plus, they were, they were mean to you today. Just go, just get some extra sleep. You need it. Do you need extra sleep? Yes. Is extra sleep at that moment distracting us from the full call of God and the identity that we have in this world? Yes. I love bread. I'm telling you. But we are often distracted, and here's how we are distracted first in this instance that Jesus is. We are distracted to have a separate identity on our own ability. Trying to prove that we can provide for ourselves. This is the temptation that Jesus is being tempted with. To prove that he can be useful on his own. To have his identity centered on him being relevant. Friends, the biggest lie that Jesus is facing right now is that he doesn't need God to have any ability. Just have ability on your own. Take care of yourself. You need to do some extra work tonight. You need to. Because that's what your identity is based off of. But Jesus says, people don't keep living because of how much bread they have. They don't keep living because of how much Netflix they watch or how much sleep they have. They keep on living because the living God speaks life into them by his very own word. Every word that God speaks to us gives us life. The truth is that we can't provide for ourselves, and compared to God, we aren't very useful, and if we tried to be relevant to everyone, we would fail very, very quickly. But what if we lived on every word of the living God? What if we lived and died to hear God's voice and live by it? And Jesus knew that this temptation was a distraction from that. And the devil doesn't stop there. We continue in verse 5. Then the devil took him off to the holy city in Jerusalem, stood him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, if you are really God's son, again, questioning his identity. This is what Satan does. By lying, he questions his identity, and that's what he does with us. If you are really God's child, he said, throw yourself down. The Bible does say, look at Satan quotes scripture here to lie. The Bible does say, after all, that God will command his angels to look after you. And then they'll carry you into their hands so that you won't hurt a foot against a stone. And Jesus speaks back. But the Bible also says that you mustn't make the Lord God prove himself. So we've already established that God has purpose in the wilderness. God puts us there for a purpose. It was God's spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. And here Satan goes for the root of his identity again. If you are God's son, beloved, if you bring him joy, let him save you. And the question really is here, are you really that important to him? Uh, our, our, let me address a lie from Satan right now. I was speaking with some friends that uh, are are on their way to planting a church, and I'm just so proud of them. And every step along the way, it seems like their kids have gotten sick, and one of them uh, just keeps on breaking a limb. 
uh, another planting couple in Africa, I've told you this story before, lost a child as they were going out to plant. And the heart of God was so rooted in them that they were proud of the fact that they could cost their lives in order to follow Jesus. So the lie is, you know, if you're really a follower of Jesus, then you should be winning all the time. And Satan wants Jesus to believe that, that, well, no trouble should be coming to you. And Jesus says, don't you dare make God try to prove himself by how I'm feeling today. He's trying to distract him to have a separate identity based on his own merits, to prove that he can save himself, to prove that he is connected in some way to God in such a way that he can get into the club at any time he wants to. That he can have every desire taken care of, that he never has to feel bad or suffer in any way. And to prove that it's only then that Jesus would be worthy. Have you ever heard that? That it's only when you receive riches or blessings from God that you are really, really blessed. If you're suffering or in the desert, then that means you're not blessed. Have you ever heard that lie? It's just a lie. Having a Porsche as much as there are beautiful cars does not prove that you're worthy of God's love. God's voice proves that you're worthy of God's love. When he says, you are my dearly beloved child. You are my dearly beloved child. It was uh, Valentine's Day just a couple days ago. Anybody remember that, Valentine's Day? I think it was on the news or something. Uh, St. Valentine, who we have Valentine's Day off of, knew very well that suffering was part of following Jesus and that going to the desert was, following, was part of following Jesus. He started marrying Christians because in the horrible society of Rome back in the third century, marriage wasn't a high priority and certainly not Christian marriage. And so he started marrying Christians as they began to follow Jesus. Well, he got arrested for doing that. It's against the law to be a Christian. It was against the law to be married as Christian. And as he's in jail, a judge, the judge that's holding him, he was overseeing the whole jail, he starts arguing with St. Valentine about the validity of Jesus. And Valentine's a good arguer. He just, he's a good debater. And the judge, they're going back and forth. And finally, the judge says, your Jesus is real. Prove it. And he brings his daughter to St. Valentine, who's blind. And he says, prove it. If Jesus is real, heal my daughter in the name of Jesus. And St. Valentine lays hands on the daughter, says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And she's healed. All of the Christians under the judge's care are immediately released. The judge goes, oh my goodness, what do I do? What do I do? And Valentine says, listen, go inside. You've got lots of idols you've been worshiping. You've been thinking you've had to do this on your own. Get rid of all the idols in your house. And then I want you to be baptized. I want you to identify with Jesus as your identity. No longer the idols, no longer yourself. I want you to be baptized. And so, not only is the judge baptized, but the 44 others in his household are baptized. Children, slaves at the time, everybody was baptized. And so you thought, see, 
God saved Valentine, he was blessed, and that's what God does, except when he was brought before Caesar, and Caesar wasn't having any debate. Caesar didn't have a blind daughter to prove himself with, didn't want to go there. He just had him beaten and stoned and beheaded. Now, could anybody here say that St. Valentine wasn't part of God's magnificent plan? Could anybody say, well, that desert time means that he wasn't a very good Christian? No. God has plans for our desert times. Who among us wants to have a memory of your life encouraging people to love almost 2,000 years later? That's what I want but it means being willing to go into the desert, into the wilderness with Jesus, so he can secure our identities in such a way that when we're faced with persecution or death or scorn, we don't say, all right, all right, I give up my faith. I don't want to die. We say, no, this is what I'm here for. And I won't be distracted by it. Finally, Jesus is taken off again by Satan. This is verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain. There he showed him all the magnificent kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give the whole lot to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, get out of here. In the Greek directly, it's get out of it, Satan. Replied Jesus, the Bible says, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. No idols, no other fantasies, no other power moves, no other weapons, no other politics. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only God you should be worshiping. That's it. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to lie on your behalf. I'm not going to say that might is right. I'm not going to lean in the direction of violence just to make a point or to get my powerful move across. No. No. Instead of force, I have faith, Jesus said. Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And Satan says, follow the liar. Lie on my behalf. Lie to get your way. Lie to others. Get powerful, whatever the cost. You see, Jesus is tempted to be distracted, to have a separate identity based on his own power, to prove he can force his own way, to prove that he's worth following, that he has a legit identity in front of other people, to prove that he's strong on his own. And it's not true. We're not strong on our own. In fact, the scripture says God's power is made perfect in our weakness. It's upside down from the world. If you ever see anybody trying to make power in this world as their first and true identity, you know it's a lie from the pit of hell. When you ever see people that are lying to get their own way, you know it's from the pit of hell. They are following Satan. And we all fall into this temptation. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that calls Jesus beloved son and adopts us into the same inheritance, is asking that we rely on his power alone, faith over force, that whenever we try to lie our way into creating a power structure that 
maybe we'll win. We're actually setting up a false god just like that judge had that Valentine asked him to get rid of. Following Jesus means that we are his beloved children and we can believe that and lean into that as true. If we're God's children, then we trust him to have his way with us. How many times as a child did your parents tell you to do things that you just didn't want to do? How many times did you feel like you were suffering to do it? We have to trust God, even if it means that we die on his behalf. Because he's already died for us. Jesus died so that we can live in the kind of freedom where we don't have to lie to have any authority in this world. We never have to prove that we are worth saving or relevant or useful. If we believe in Jesus and agree to follow him, we leave the lies and the father of lies behind. And instead, we are adopted into the same inheritance that Jesus gets. When Jesus is told, you are my beloved, we receive, you are my beloved. When Jesus receives, you are my son, we receive, you are my child. When Jesus receives, you bring me great joy. We receive, you bring me great joy. You bring God great joy because you are his beloved child. And we don't get that by lying. We get that by surrendering. We don't get that by force. We get that by faith. You who are in the wilderness, in the desert, I want to tell you what's going to happen if you lean in that way. Watch in verse 11. Then the devil left him. Then the devil left him. And his angels, God's angels, came and looked after him. Then the devil left. I'm telling you, friends, it's time to surrender the way of Satan. It's time to surrender all the ways that we try to get our own ability and our own power to be proven based on our own merit. That is not where our true identity lies. Our true identity lies in what we inherit through believing and following Jesus. He gives us our true identity. Listen to the psalmist here for just a moment. This is Psalm 103. Verse 11, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Let's surrender to the identity of weakness. They can't win again. Let's not fear from being bowled over by our enemies. They can't win against the power of God. And if we surrender, there's a good chance that they'll get to receive some light of the identity that God's given us. They might be hungry for what we have. Our days on the earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and we die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we'd never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever for those who fear him. 
God has a plan for your wilderness. He has a plan for your desert. And it's to make sure that your identity is so secure that when you leave the desert, Satan leaves you too. So many of us go into the desert, but we still leave with our faulty, sinful, lying identity. And God doesn't want that. If you're in the desert right now, I want you to know God is not done with you. He's got a purpose for your desert, and it's to to strip you down to the identity that he has for you. If you're feeling weak, if you're feeling like you can't have an identity on your own merit, if you're feeling chance to receive the true identity of God that we inherit through believing in Jesus, would you stand with me, please? Pray right now in the name of Jesus. Some of you need this prayer over and over again. Satan, leave. There's surrendering that's happening in this room. Satan, leave. He's pursuing some of you so strongly right now that you're shaking in your boots. There's some of you that are just trembling at the thought. The truth is burning in some of your mouths like you've never felt it before. And this is the Holy Spirit. He is here and he's ready to take you as Weak and surrendered to give you the strength that will never die. Some of you have come here and in the desert you ran to some very sinful places. I say very sinful like any of them are more powerful than others. It's sin. You believe the lie of the enemy and each one of us have. Some of you have run to other men or women. Some of you run to drugs and alcohol. Some of you run to spending so you don't have anything left. Some have run just into darkness. And I say right now, surrender to Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, Satan, leave. For some of you, and you raise your hand, if you're in the desert or the wilderness, I want to bless you in the desert or the wilderness right now as receiving God's purpose in it. Anybody there? Just raise your hand. I see a few of you in the desert. God has purpose for you right now. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you to receive the purposes of God as you're in the desert and in the wilderness right now, that you will receive the identity of Jesus, that you are his beloved that you bring him great joy, that you are his child. And for some of you who are in the desert, but you don't have this identity, and so you have just been dying in the temptation. Every temptation seems like it seizes you. I want to invite you into the strength of God's identity by praying a simple prayer. It's up on the screen. It's in Spanish and English. Would you pray it with me right now? Would you surrender to the lies so that Satan would leave and your desert time would be redemptive instead of destructive? Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. And just lay it down. Just lay it down. I'm sorry for believing the lies. I'm sorry for following the temptation. I'm sorry for trying to make myself strong. I'm I'm sorry for escaping. I'm sorry for looking to other resources to make me feel better. I'm sorry. 
there's so much power in the next three words. I, I just want to make sure that, that all of it's settled before. It's like <laughs> laying it all before God and letting him take it and not picking it up again by saying these three words. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you. I forgot the words there. That you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Now hold on a second. There are some of you that don't want the Holy Spirit because you're afraid of going into the wilderness and the desert. You're afraid that if you really follow Jesus, he's going to take you into a time where you can't rely on your own strength. And there are some of you that just need to lay that down right now. Receiving the Holy Spirit means that he makes us more holy. And sometimes that means going into the desert. Would you say with me, I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus.